Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone and welcome to Built Not Born episode 76. Today's guest is Rod Olmsted. Rod Olmsted is an expert in e-commerce and supply chain management. Rod has worked on the executive leadership teams of companies like Walmart, Seiyu, and Hudson Bay. Rod and I discussed how to create the next generation of leaders, how a leader's physical health affects their mental health. We'll also touch on CrossFit and why the best leaders voluntarily seek out obstacles and challenges that not only make them a better leader, but a better person. Was so excited to get Rod Olmsted on the show. Uh, He shares a ton of ideas and tips to not only have a high-performing career, but a high-performing life. I hope you enjoy. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit that follow button. So excited to share the next wave of interviews with you. Just finished up with marketing guru and best-selling author, Seth Godin. It was so awesome to speak with Seth. Can't wait to bring that to you. Also, two sat down with Steve Maxwell, a pioneer in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It was so awesome to talk to Steve. Can't wait to share that one. In the meantime, please enjoy my conversation with Rod Olmsted. And remember, life is built, not born. Rod Olmsted, welcome to the show. Joe, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. It's exciting, man. Rod, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thanks, Joe. So Rod Olmsted, I've been in retail, logistics, e-commerce, that kind of sector for close to 30 years. Grew up in that after university, primarily operations, but also strategy and some of the other functions. But put really simply, you know what, I help different businesses, different companies, basically accomplish strategy. So an example I gave recently to some folks was I stayed at a hotel chain in California. And I also went to a grocery store there. And in the grocery store, when I was uh, checked out by the cashier, a nice young lady told me all about that chain. She was so enthusiastic. And I asked her, how long have you worked here? She said, only a month. And I thought, wow, what an incredible training program. And she was an ambassador of their strategy. When I was at the hotel chain, which is a pretty big national chain, there was a young man that basically told me the only thing he could do before 7 a.m. was ask me to wait till after 7 a.m. because he could only watch the front door. And so you have a large frontline workforce in a lot of industries from fast food to retail to warehouses to e-commerce. And I think the ability of an operations team to take the strategy of a company down to something engaging and actionable for the associates that work on the front line is is a powerful thing. And it's something I'm, I'm proud to be part of for the last a couple decades. I've been able to work in Japan, in China, the US and Canada, and just be part of a lot of just amazing projects. Doing some research on you. You are a big CrossFit guy. And I know a lot of that calorie bleeds over. It's hard to be in shape mentally and physically in one and have it not transfer over to the other side of your life and vice versa. If you're struggling mentally, and you're struggling with your physical and mental health, it's hard for that not to affect your personal and professional life as well. Couldn't agree more. I think that's something I have a huge alignment with you on. Before we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, which is on the 
west side of the prairies in Canada. I remember when I was a young guy thinking, oh man, and I used to say this as a joke, I would love one day to eat sushi off the dock in Japan and people would stare at me like I was crazy. And sure enough, a long time later, what am I doing on a Saturday night is many times eating sushi right in the streets of Tokyo. So wow. Edmonton, Alberta. Oilers fan? You big hockey fan growing up? Yeah. Yeah. And I got to go to actually just this last year when I've been back in North America, I had a chance to go to some of their playoffs games. So absolutely proud to wear that jersey. Some of the earliest memories of my childhood was Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, that team beating the Flyers in the Stanley Cup, like way back in the day. Flyers had some great teams back then, but they ran into like maybe the greatest machine the NHL ever produced with like Gretzky, Yari Curry, Messier, Grant Fuhrer and goal. Like it was crazy, that team. That team was insane. Yeah, a, t- a team of champions, no question. Yeah. So anyway, hey, so how does a kid in Alberta, Canada, how do they wind up eating sushi on the dock in Japan? How's that journey come about? It's an interesting one. A lot of people that, that grow up in retail, even some of you know the ones you read about, a lot of people don't, I think, have an intention of that. Often we work in retail. It's kind of a job to help get us through school. And I was no different. I mean, I was going to University of Alberta. My plan was to go to law school and be a lawyer. And I was working a lot of hours, worked for Hudson Bay Company at the time, and helped my, my parents were helping me. And I was paying my way through school and just working a ton of hours in retail and I liked it, but I certainly didn't think that would be my career. And, you know, I realized through some mentors that my idea of what a lawyer would do with their day job was probably not real. It's kind of based on Hollywood movies. And I realized I was maybe going the wrong direction on what I would like to do. It's like school's coming to an end. And so I reached out to someone who became one of my first big mentors in retail. And he took me under his wing and he said, listen, this is about a year before I was done. He said, you know what? don't underestimate the value of a career in retail. He said, sometimes maybe you're working in the store here, you're putting up boxes, you're doing this kind of stuff. But he said, there is a real career. There's strategy. He said, there's good compensation. There's momentum. And he said, you don't always have a lot of people that um, can do both strategy and execution. Now, I was a young guy just absorbing what he's saying, not really understanding the gravity, but it would become incredible advice. And I still look, in fact, post-COVID, nothing's more clear today than that reality of how do you learn how to get things done and then still realize you're part of a business? So this guy brought me this program. And over the next few years, I was able to go to numerous cities and kind of work my way up. And I left Hudson Bay Company in 1998 and joined Walmart Canada. And I remember one of the first questions Joe asked them was, how do you like move up more quickly? You know, what's the best strategy? And they said something that I think is just incredible advice to anyone. One is you put up your hand and volunteer to go somewhere no one else will go and maybe take on something no one else wants to take on. I said, well, what would that mean? He said, well, you can go to Gander, Newfoundland or Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. Uh, I put up my hand and I went to Yellowknife and I probably saved myself five years in, in a career ladder. And that became a journey where as I went up to Yellowknife and then later on Whitehorse and some other the northern places, I learned two important things that I think today are unbelievably valuable. One is how do you work in a very high turnover environment? You've got a very transient workforce. And then how do you work in an environment where you have to use a lot of team dynamics around logistics challenges? And if you think of fast forward 20 some years into the modern e-commerce omni-channel environment, high turnover workforce, logistical challenges, high team environment, high pace and agility. So yeah, it was an incredible journey, moved up to the ranks, got to do a lot of interesting projects and do a lot of strategy work as well. And Ultimately, I got to be part of a team that 
help Walmart sell its majority share in our Walmart Japan division. And I was living in Tokyo for probably just over four years, part of an amazing team and so grateful to be part of that project and be influenced by cultures over there and have a chance to, as we get into some of our fitness things, be part of some martial arts as well. That again, just a remarkable journey that I'm so grateful to be part of. I definitely want to get into the martial arts where you and I met, but I want to explore a couple of things. One, you mentioned strategy and execution. And another thing, when you put your hand up to volunteer to do things that no one else wants to do, how that speeds things up. That's really cool. I've never heard it put that way. But strategy and execution, that to me, when I hear that, there are so many people that have a strategy or have an idea of a game plan of what they want to do. I want to do X. I want to do Y. But the execution part is so hard because it's like you have to change your habit, change what you do on a daily basis, right? Everything from a, hey, I want to read more. I want to get in better shape. I want to save more money. Whatever it is, X, I want to learn to play the piano. Whatever the goal you have, but then the execute to show up every day and do that to make meaningful progress. Why is that so hard? Well, you know, and I'll start with kind of my industry and other industries and then kind of get it in where it just kind of carries over, I think, to sports that we're really passionate about. Part of it is you have a lot of people that grow up in these environments, whether you're in restaurant, whether you're in a warehousing, you have what would be called tribal knowledge. So you kind of learn it by working there. And a lot of these folks that work there, again, that's not their original intention. They, they went there to, to kind of have a job at one point. Maybe they got promoted a few times. You don't generally have a lot of people that have done an MBA program working in these environments. So then you have people over on the other side that might be a very intelligent professional consultant, and they've done an honors MBA program, and they understand some of the business mechanics around maybe how something can be run better. But you've got two different people, one that's growing up in the environment and one that maybe knows some strategy that would be better. The problem by having that thinking in two different bodies is that you don't tend to get a plan that works. So you'll have an idea, theory, and then you have someone who knows how things actually work. And if it's not put together into one team, you get a few people that have kind of have a foot in both realms. It's very, very difficult. I think when you look at the fitness world, there's so many different ways of accomplishing health and fitness. And there's so many different things that I think when you really look at If you have an exercise scientist explaining calorie outputs and you have someone that's a theorist, they can explain what happened. But the practical application to a person who maybe has two small kids at home or a demanding job, what could actually practically be put in their life? You know, maybe there's different choices. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a practical element of understanding both art and science. And I think that's really hard. I certainly in current retail and e-commerce in leadership, it's very hard to have people that have a background in both. And there's a real difference. You can say to the MBA, go spend time in the warehouse. You can say to someone, go there later on as an executive and see what's going on. It's not the same as if you grow up in it. And for people that grow up in it, you know what? Some of those folks, they're not necessarily in a position where they can go back to school for two or three years at night. So you've got a very small group of people that can kind of see both. But I see the responsibility for us in that small group is how do we create programs? How do we open doors for people to have have ways of learning new things? How do we create solutions, training programs, uh, SOPs? How do we do things in a way that's rewarding that people can then join a company or join a, a discipline when we get into the other area and learn comfortable environment and have kind of a winnable game? And you see lots of examples of different businesses that clearly have a great plan 
And people that work there seem to really enjoy it, and, and they represent the brand. And if you go to 20 different locations, they're quite similar. You see other environments where, you know, the one on the east end of the city and the one on the west end of the city are completely different. And you think, man, what the heck is going on there? So I think it's a challenging situation because you've got to have a bit of art and science. And again, that goes back to the other world we talk about. I think with martial arts and some of the more advanced fitness forms, there is a bit of art and science. I lead a sales team here in Philly. And the one thing you see, no matter what company I ever worked for, even what companies you study and look at from the outside, you have the marketing department and then you have the sales department. From a distance, they might think look like the same thing, but like marketing will come up with a strategy. And that might be your, say your MBA knowledge, right? The people that aren't mm. in the, not in the day-to-day, not on the street, not bouncing against the angry customers Monday morning in the big city trying to sell the product, but they're like sitting there with the theory and the ad boards and th- this is what we're going to do. But then you have someone you said has a tribal knowledge, like that salesperson mm-hmm. that's been in the field for 10, 15 years that knows the customer inside out and they roll this plan they think's magical down. You're like, this plan's a mess. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, there's no chance I'm doing this in this office. I'd get left out of the room. But they come and they present it and they're all excited. Uh, like, oh, here's our new marketing thing for the year. And as a salesperson, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the marketing nails it. But then sometimes that disconnect where it's like you have that MBA knowledge and you have the tribal knowledge. And sometimes they just don't jive, right? And, and, no. and one side doesn't understand the other. And you know what? I'll build on what you're saying because you're, you're bang on. The uh, other reality that's making this even far more dramatic today, that would be true even like 70 years ago. What's making this far more dramatic today is we've just gone through a pandemic. We have a significant disruption in the workforce between multiple forces that have not existed before, which make it's hard to get great employees, harder than it's ever been. We've got disruption with communication. We don't always have live meetings. And you have this kind of theoretical thing that we would call a digital transformation occurring in our society, which a lot of people don't really fully, we don't fully understand its applicability. Like we don't really understand what it's meant though, is that both an employee or a customer in almost any industry has more choices than they've ever had. And it's very hard to find one person to say, like you said, on the, on the head of marketing, or today it could be a chief technology officer. You can't just find a Swiss army knife to come in and say, well, that person will take care of that whole problem for us. It's now executive teams. You mentioned the orders back in the day. It's a team actually that has a passionate vision for a strategy working together and not expecting that the technology leader has all the answers on that end or the HR leader or the ops leader. And I think that when you have people that are more open-minded and working together and then really close to the front line, whether it's their customer, whether it's their employees, their associates, even the communities that they have their relations in. I think that you really have to keep close, but it is probably a precipice right now out there of you have very few companies not going through some kind of transformation. It was quoted last night in some folks that I do some networking with. We do this kind of think tank once a month. The friend of mine said, you're either a disruptor today or you're being disrupted. There's one or the other. And that that was not always the case. You would often have a lot of people in the sector that are kind of in the middle and relatively safe and and for a little while anyway, and they can kind of think about their three to five year plan. You're either a disruptor right now and maybe temporarily, or you're being disrupted. And I think that at this point, that connection, like we said, between art and science, really listening, and then staying true to some of your core competencies. You've got some core customers that you cannot disappoint them because they have options today. Yeah. Oh, options are everywhere. Here's a question I wanted to throw at you. Coming from the C-suite way up in large organization, planning. Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. 
or Eisenhower says planning's worthless, but then planning's essential. Yeah, some quote like that. Like you have to plan, even though you're not going to use the plan, but it's really helpful. Like you just mentioned a three to five year plan. Just say you put a plan together five years ago. How laughable is that plan now? Like prior to COVID, prior to infl- interest rates going through the roof. Like I have friends that are in the building industry. Like their plan six months ago was crushed. Because how high the interest rates are were in materials and yeah. how long it takes to get window. They need 6,000 windows to build a hospital. It's crazy. So like when you're putting like a five-year plan together from an executive standpoint like yours, mm-hmm. is that worthless now? Like if you can't plan for six months from now, maybe six weeks from now, how much time and energy would you spend planning five years from now? Is that question fair? Well, it's a great question. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And I think how I'd like to answer it is I want to introduce a a type of kind of a language or a way of looking at it. And again, this is something we'll highlight soon when we talk about, I think you see this in a lot of the sports we enjoy pursuing. And I think that whether you're talking about a plan three to five years from now, you're talking about a current day-to-day tactical strategy, you can talk and say principles or methods. And so there are some fundamental principles that will not change. Mm -hmm. And these are facts of reality. I mean, like if we were talking about martial arts, gravity, balance, we're not going to suddenly have a new gravitational system. At least that's very unlikely. You have principles around if your business model, if you look at, I think, some people that have been highly successful like Costco and some of the warehouse clubs coming out of COVID, they have an experience that's unique. People like going to a warehouse. They like going to Costco. Their strategy of surprise and delight on a couple of very key items and then some very basic items they're known for and their private label. If you look at something like that, that that was a great idea. They have a principle that they they stand to. What you want to be highly flexible on is the methods. Mm-hmm. And you know, you may have to adjust the methods based on the environment as it changes. And I think that the people that build a three to five year more vision than a plan and start to say, what is our principles? What is our core customer? What do customers reward us for? And I think really the piece here that would be the same in an athlete and the same in a, in a leader is there's a difference between how you would like to be seen, I think, or how you wish you were genetically or what you wish your skills were and the reality, the reality about your actual body type or, or your own skill set or, or where you show up in the market the people that have real understanding of where they're at and the principles that make them either good or at risk, they do well and they adjust methods quickly because they're based on a foundation. I think the people that are very aspirational with thinking methods will overcome realities, I think, struggle. And I think that it's a real level of just honest self-awareness. And Like I said, there's lots of examples of businesses that actually improve themselves through COVID that actually move things forward because they saw an opportunity to make their customers feel more safe. They saw an opportunity to better care of their employees. So I think there's a a way of looking at how do you stick core to principles looking three to five years out? And then how do you adjust your methods? But I would say having no plan is certainly risky because Mm -hmm. one thing you do want to understand is all the effort you put in, you certainly want to put that effort into something that's going to have a return on investment. And I think there are people that don't really understand from based on the kind of KPIs or the numbers they're tracking, they don't really understand where the value comes from their business. You look at a company like Apple that they don't try to own every part of the market. They try to make sure that their products have a very deep penetration and are profitable, and then they can make more products. So I think it's a lot about staying on principles, but understanding you do need to know the mechanics of the PL the same way you need to know your body, its limitations, the force of gravity and balance. And I think principles over methods. That totally makes sense. Have a plan. But have it based on principles instead of methods. 
And then knowing that you have to pivot from that plan when the times come and the circumstances change, have that as your base, base your core concepts on your principles, but be be very agile and nimble and be able to seize opportunity when it presents itself. Yeah. Makes sense. Transitioning over, doing some research on you. You are a big CrossFit guy, right? Great shape. Tell us about your CrossFit experience and tell us the role that your physical health plays for your mental health and for your professional health. Could you speak to that? You know, it's very dangerous, Joe, asking a CrossFitter to talk about CrossFit. We could suddenly be here for the old joke for hours and hours. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to kind of come at this one at kind of high level. I've had a, it's been an amazing force of my life and I'm so grateful for that. It's a community. And I think when someone from outside is looking at it, some people don't know much about it. They're kind of bring up some kind of YouTube, some kind of random YouTube video or someone doing something kind of crazy. Um, some of the times that's not even CrossFit at all, but you know, it's like anything else in life. There's good CrossFit. There's, there's the same way in martial arts, there's good teachers, but the community of what CrossFit is, is it's a place where you go and you experience challenge and adversity and kind of overcome adversity through skill building with other human beings and around the world. And I've done CrossFit all around the world. I've never seen a more welcoming tribe. I've never been in a place where you can feel more comfortable. Literally this morning, literally this morning, downtown Philadelphia, real early. I'm in a box. It's right before Thanksgiving here in America. And I go in, meet a bunch of people. And it was like, we've been friends for years and we shared this experience. We had this hour together. So it's been a journey. And I mean, like a lot of people started off, it was super challenging. In fact, I'll do a shout out. Milton, Ontario is where I first started CrossFit at a wonderful place that still exists called Firepower. George and Andrea own it, and he's a firefighter, and she was a nationally ranked boxer. And for them, it's a passion. They built an incredible community. And I remember when I started, I was so overwhelmed physically by the experience, and I was uh, loving it, but I was just getting killed. I was breathing, you know, wheezing, like, you know, really just struggling. But I loved it. I didn't care. And so my parents, who are still alive at that time, we had this thing called the Firefighter Games. It's a team event, and some of the teams are represented between firefighters and CrossFit people. And I think we came in last place, but what's funny about the story is not funny to my dad at the time. They show up to see this thing because they were visiting at the time and they see me come down this flight of stairs. I'm wearing a firefighter gear. I'm carrying a tank. And then we have to go do with some pull-ups and things. And I am wheezing badly, like really labored breathing. And my mom and dad said, you had asthma as a kid. I, I don't know if this is really a good idea. This seems very dangerous, right? <laughs> And I said, listen, I know what I'm doing and you have no idea already how much I've improved. Just please trust me. And they're like, this just seems crazy. It came in last place and I still loved it. Now you fast forward right before I was in Asia and this is a local thing. So I'm not trying to draw more attention. It's more of my own journey. The reason I highlight this story. Fast forward to 2017, which was probably maybe five years later, I was on a team that won that event, won that whole thing. I mean, I wasn't even remotely wheezing at all. My, it's like my asthma doesn't even exist. And yeah, you know, there was a point there where it's like, should I give up because it's hard? Should Does that seem dangerous? I was just so, just so enthusiastic about being part of, of what we were doing there and, under, and just being so motivated about constantly trying new things that it not only made me fitter, and that's like an obvious side, but what it did to my psychology, what it did to me as a person, as a leader, it's just remarkable. So yeah, I started through there and then when the coaching, I think now I'm on my third 
time of renewing. I just renewed my level two recently and I do, do coaching, help out at FNA and Edmonton a bit. And, you know, just to be passionate now about, I love helping someone learn something. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be advanced. It could be someone doing the first pull-up they ever did or doing a push-up. And, and the excitement that they have from accomplishing a new skill and they tell their friends, that translates. We talk about how does that translate to other activities. It's not just slightly getting in better shape. It's also like someone that could never do something realizes I'm doing something now I didn't think I could do. And maybe I'm 40 when I'm learning to do my first yeah. pull-up. Maybe I lost... 30 pounds. And it's like, you know, when you start to tell your brain, I actually could do that. And you break that barrier. That goes to other things. It's not just about pull-ups and push-ups or jumping on the box. When you start to tell your brain, maybe I have skills I never thought I could have. You start to un unlock, I think, uh, barriers that maybe have been blocked up since we were children. Yeah. You mentioned there of doing stuff maybe inside the box at CrossFit. But then you bring it like in jujitsu where you and I met, we met at yeah. our sunrise class. You floated through Philly and uh, you showed up one day at our sunrise class, which was awesome to meet you. But then like we always say that first you do it on the mat, then you take it out into the world, right? And you figure out like, wow, like you can do something and then it bleeds out professionally, personally, maybe into your relationships, into your professional life where you're like, I can do this. And that can do attitude. That sounds really cliche, but that like, wow, I can make a change. I can be better. I can do something I never did before. You start doing things you never did before pro professionally, right? In the sales world or marketing or e-commerce world, you start doing things in your relationship you never did before. And it's like, wow, where'd this person come from? It all started either in that CrossFit box or on the jujitsu mat, right? Yeah. Building on that. And I'd love that. It'd be great to talk about Wonderful. And I loved experiencing coming there and seeing you guys and hearing the way you coach. I thought that I, you, you did such a great job of explaining that. It stuck with me a lot. When we talk about some of these activities, and it's the same in martial arts, there's a lot of, we just cross this example, martial arts, but there's a lot of different activities where, and I think sometimes people say, look across it, and they'll say, well, I see people doing combining things like maybe they're on a 400 meter run or something doing pull-ups and they're jumping up on this thing and it's like they say well that's so unsafe to do all these things together you should just separate them all and obviously there's good coaching so i'm going to take out a context bad coaching you've got to adjust the workout to the athlete to the individual all that let's just level set say of course i'm not referring to bad coaching but when we coach properly and we set up a workout and we adjust it to that specific athlete with their own skill level and their own limitations they should not necessarily be able to do everything slowly and perfectly because in real life, let's say the skill, for example, of you had to do these pull-ups after running and you're kind of breathing hard. We talk about translating to the rest of our life in business. You get called, you're a salesperson, you get called by the head of the company saying, Joe, one of our most important clients needs you to call them today. This, all this stuff just happened. I need you to basically in the next five minutes, pull yourself together and get them back on track. You're not always going to be able to stand there and be in perfect condition and just be ready to do your one fancy skill and videotape it. You may, under duress, under fatigue, be required to do a complicated skill and be able to control yourself. And I think I'll use something from, from your side there. I've had a chance to do quite a bit of uh, boxing training and being working with a coach in Japan and movie tie a bit. And it's like one of the things you, that he used to talk about all the time, and it really stuck with me, is... It's as important sometimes when you're doing these fitness activities that you actually learn in the rest periods how to calm yourself, right? How do you calm down so you can be under fatigue, potentially under some fear, 
still able to reproduce at a high performance level. And I think that that carryover is absolutely there. Your brain realizing I'm breathing hard. I might be a bit afraid. I could be really tired. Maybe I didn't sleep well last night. I got all this stuff going on. I'm going to calm my breath down and I'm going to execute at a high level because I'm, I've proven to myself I can do that under mm-hmm. duress. I, I've proven to myself. I think that unfortunately, when you're at your, your day job, you don't want to just randomly experiment with that. Well, I'm going to fail a few client calls just to get better. I mean, that might happen and you have to get past it. The benefits of having a passion like martial arts or CrossFit where you can practice frequently. Failing. How yeah. do I calm my breath under stress? How do I get... The good thing is this is kind of your hobby. So you're not risking your employment and how you're paying for your family's dinner. Yep. You can actually practice this repeatedly. It'll transfer because it's common. Your brain knows stress. I'm going to calm myself down because... I can do this. And I think the more you can tell yourself, like you said, and I know it sounds like we we kind of both laugh. It sounds cheesy, like a line on a movie poster, but it really is. When your brain believes you can do difficult things, your brain is stronger. There is no Mm -hmm. question. So true. And just speaking for myself in jujitsu, just speaking, saying the jujitsu world, you talked a few moments ago, you mentioned it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be advanced. Some of the greatest feelings on the mat is when you take a kid who comes in who's 15 years old and the first time they get like smothered in jujitsu where someone mounts them and they're heavy, you literally see tears in their eyes. Like they're scared, like they can't get the person off. Or maybe it's just frustration. Like they're trying to get the person off. They don't know the technique yet. And they're literally at four minutes, this big heavier person is on top of them. And they're literally crying almost at the end of the round. Then you fast forward a few weeks down the road. And that same person or even a bigger person's on top of them. And they know the technique and they throw the person off. And all of a sudden they're the one on top. You just see the whole persona, just the whole attitude, persona, and confidence of that person change. And, it, and their oh. life's not the same. It, you are Your life is definitely not the same because you just know, wow, I can do that, right? Oh, it's remarkable. And I think that depending on someone's starting point, sometimes starting to just get that self-belief is so hard. And maybe what's exciting, and, and maybe it's aspirational, but but I'd rather be I always say I'd rather be an optimist and wrong than than a pessimist and right. And I think, you know, it's very difficult sometimes in someone's life. Maybe they're in the wrong relationship. Maybe they really have a bad situation. They're significantly overweight. Some of the bigger victories that they need to have may take a lot of time and energy. And you're not going to get that big trophy for a long time. But when you can learn, like you said, how to do something small, a little technique, like from what you were describing, a little bit of improvement, a little progression on something you could learn in, in a couple of weeks, it starts to kind of put those you know pennies in that fountain of like, maybe I can get that big thing. Maybe I can climb that mountain because I have this example of improvement. And I think that's where, you know, you and I were talking before, but there's obviously benefits from just getting healthy and fit. That's useful in terms of productivity. But I think when you start to get into skills and it doesn't mean you can be at different at levels it's not like you have to be really advanced or a black belt or a 10-year crossfitter or something but when you're learning a skill and your and your fitness comes from things that involve balance things that involve dexterity maybe you have to have that skill under fatigue i think these kind of things transfer to leadership in a way that a lot of people don't realize and it's such an interesting benefit even if you were just a beginner the fact that you're opening your mind up. Anyways, this is the kind of conversation that I think is fascinating because I mentor a lot of people with this where it's in my personal life where it's, they're like, yeah, I know I should get into shape, but they kind of see it as this more monotonous, just effort thing where it's like, 
why don't you learn something totally new and have this experience? One, it's going to be so rewarding. And then it's carryover to business and leadership is just staggering. Just getting into motion, getting fit. There's a lot of health benefits to that. But the reason I'm such an advocate of whether it's martial arts, whether it's some kind of sport, whether it's some kind of CrossFit or some kind of an activity where there's a bit more skill orientation, and it doesn't matter your own level. But when you have the chance to see a different improvement, and I couldn't jump on that box before, or I didn't know how to skip before, or I didn't know how to put somebody in that hold, as you were saying, or be in that situation and not panic. Those things can happen and give you the confidence. I think some people try to add fitness in a more painful way, but they only do a single modality. I'm just going to stay in the treadmill for an hour. And even though that does add some elements of fitness, it's just, it's very difficult. And I think what you really want, especially for executives or anyone working a lot of hours, when you have those scarce few hours to invest in your hobby, your passion, your sport, you want to make those also things that are fun and learning. And the group you're around, the tribe, like I described, is also giving you that energy. So when you go see your family later, when you go see your coworkers, they're like, oh, wow, you must have had a great workout today. And you bring that energy to them in a way that also motivates them as a, someone on the team. Yeah. If you could speak to, you, you just brought it up, but we could speak to that tribe or that community where when, when you jump into a group of like-minded people that are heading the same direction or that all are in the CrossFit box or all in the jujitsu mat, or maybe they're all at a nonprofit trying to raise money for a great cause. And you jump in that community, how just you all raise each other's levels up. That power of community is so strong. Sometimes in jujitsu, there's times where I felt like, wow, I'm really progressing. There's other times I'm like, man, I suck. Where it's just have both things where like, wow, I'm really feeling good about this. Wow, like I'm not saying I'm going to quit, but man, I suck and it's so frustrating. But the community is there to pick you up. Like that person you might have helped six months ago and taught them a few things. They're like, hey, I saw you doing this. And and they, they kind of help you out later down the road. And you're just lifting each other up all at the right time. And you can't make that level of progress by yourself. Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think, and these things are, are things that, you know, we talk about them and you almost, you really do have to experience it and have that faith. When you join that tribe, and again, I saw it in your dojo, it's the same thing. When you walk into a facility that, a training facility of some kind, and a lot of these different activities have different terminologies for these things, but where everyone is practicing together, you walk in and a couple things I tend to notice. One, you see people being very welcoming. You can already sense that there's a, a very positive kind of group dynamic in that environment. And I think there's the right balance of they're motivating you. Sometimes they kind of push you a bit when you need to be pushed. And there's other times where maybe you haven't slept for two days because a lot going on and you need to work on technique that day. And that's not a day to injure yourself and just be ridiculously pushed. It's a very family oriented environment where doing it together is more important than you individually beating another member or something. And I think that that takes a while to learn sometimes. We all have days, like you said, where you're like, oh man, today I, my technique was off. And the longer you do any of these activities, the more you have your own self-comparisons. Sometimes you can wrestle with that. But again, that's life. Yeah. You do that in business too. Yeah. And you know, as I've gotten older and I think more mature about this, I recognize ironically, and I've been talking to a few friends about this, I think sometimes we have more of an opportunity as a human being to improve our bad days. My bad day is actually quite a bit better than actually like my poor performance day is actually at a quite a bit of a higher level than my old poor performance day rather than 
sometimes just relishing these incredible days where the sleep was good and the conditions were incredible. And I think that when you think about business, your customer is more interested in, well, what was the worst lineup that, that they ever saw or the worst day? And when your worst day is still pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, you're in pretty good shape. And I think that the tribal environment keeps your head on right. Because if you were doing everything in isolation by yourself, even if you were incredibly mentally strong, life is not by ourselves. Life's a team sport. And I think when you get into work with your customers, I think it's better to have that external orientation of how you affect other people. And yeah, if you're having a bad day, maybe you end up helping a peer do something, practice something that they want to practice, and you still end up walking out of there feeling great. And that way you're not limited by a night of bad sleep or a sore shoulder one day. Yeah. If you're wondering what to do, if you're struggling yourself, when I need help, I'm at the point now where I just go help somebody. But where maybe if I feel like I'm struggling with something and I see maybe someone struggling with something I may be able to help them with, I just go help someone. If you help enough people, I feel like I get my game back going where it's not an instant fix, but like go help someone. I had Huron Gracie on the show. He's the head instructor at Gracie University out in LA. And it's the paraphrase. I mean, he goes, go find someone to help. If you're on the mat, go find no matter if it, just go find someone to help. Good things are going to happen. It's yeah. just a gr- great philosophy to live by. And that's something that I try to do, especially when I'm struggling, where there's certain days you show up and you feel great. And like, wow, man, this, I just love this jujitsu thing. And there's other times you show up and you're like, man, I suck. I need another hobby. It's just, it's just like a tough day where maybe you're just going to get up against some really good guys and maybe some bad habits creep in like they always do. And you're like, man, and you, before you get frustrated, you take a step back. And like you said, this bad day was not as bad as it was five years ago. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's incredible when you think about how to, and it takes a while. When you're younger, it's so hard to see this sometimes, but to have that external orientation on the environment you're around. In fact, someone yeah. asked me the other day, they're like, you know, you always seem really full of energy or positive and stuff. And I said, you know what you have to do is you empty your own cup. Because when you walk into an environment, it could be a dojo, it could be even a work environment where you are not so full of your own thoughts and you're able to notice the rest of the people there. You know what? All of a sudden you get people laughing. Like you said, you're helping someone learn something. And all of a sudden you kind of feel your own energy coming back. And even if you're still having an off day, no one sees you that way. They remember you as being a team player. And I think well, when we talk about transfer to life, team players are people that other people want to be around, yeah. uh, not someone that in an isolated corner had their own personal best and sometimes at the expense of others. Moving on here, part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Looking back, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? Certainly, one that sticks out because we were just talking about this recently is that around, I guess it would have been about 1996, I had a pretty significant injury to my right hand. It went into a piece of machinery in a stock room. And uh, this is prior to joining Walmart. And this actually, this this company in Canada doesn't even exist anymore. But, you know, just a young guy working in a stock room, kind of management trainee. And my hand went through a conveyor belt and had so much torn off that they were not that sure if I would regain the use of my hand. And I had over the next couple of years, probably about eight surgeries done. And, you know, in a few months, we were obviously very, very optimistic, but there was a stretch of time there. And I was, uh, it was about 22, 23. And the blessing from that, and I recently reconnected with an old friend and he remembered me going through this. We're kind of having a, having a beer over this the other night, but I ended up 
having some time stuck there, going through surgeries, having damage and and some tissue transplants from my leg to that hand. And, you know, I just did not know if I would function like a normal person. I, I didn't know. I, there's no way I could know at that time. And I had to kind of gain this type of faith around a future that could be better than the one that it was in. And, you know, I ended up at 2223 writing these goals. And I did a, a Tony Robbins kind of a tape cassette goal setting thing, mm-hmm. like repetitiously over those months, writing down all these things I wanted to accomplish by 45. And you know what? Like I look back and I think as terrible as that pain was and some of the surgeries and the stress I put on friends and family that worried about me, it altered me in a way that so many events that came later and principles that I had and who I was were built in that time. So it's an example that always stands out as well as when I'm working in these e-commerce facilities, I'm quite aware of conveyor belts and safety. So I'm always thinking about that in kind of a, a sideline. When you have these adversities, what you do with them, what you do with them to make yourself stronger is another thing that sets apart those moments in your life from either taking you down or making you something greater. How's your hand now? But it, it's awesome. It uh, yeah, there's it was like a record level. But my dad, who was a very disciplined person, a very a strong leader, he was in the military his whole life. His attitude to physiotherapy is as controversial as it sounds. It's like whatever they tell you, twice as much, three times as often. And he had recovered from broken neck parachuting. He'd recovered from wow. multiple things, and always was very fit and strong. And the second I started to do the physiotherapy after, I did everything, everything I could to get that dexterity back. And you know what? I have no limitation in my hand other than a scar. So I'm very proud to put that effort in as well. I had a knee surgery back in the day and someone pulled me aside and said, listen, this is like a college football game. First half is all about the surgery. The second half is all about the therapy. And don't cut the physical therapy short. It shows up to two or three PT sessions. Then they, oh, I can do this at home. And then they're the ones that get the, either the worst result or the ones that take the longest to recover. Like years later, they're still like, oh, my knee kind of hurts still, or my knee's kind of weak. The ones that just dive into the PT to where the PT five months later is like, all right, slow down. You got to chill. They're the ones yeah. that like a year later, like it never happened. Right. And it's just, oh, you yeah. got to jump into that physiotherapy head, head first with all the stuff you got going on, your executive leadership, all the travel you do. When you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? I think that's a great question because for people like ourselves that leverage our sports and our fitness to offset our executive stresses, which on the surface sounds really good, but I am certainly like many people guilty of probably overtraining and going more often because I'm leveraging my outing with my tribe to offset my work stress. Uh, where sometimes really I should probably take a rest day. So what what I try to do when I can, and I've got a chance recently to do a couple times to do this is, you know, is to honestly to get out into nature and just get that, like go somewhere. And, you know, people kind of think, well, I'm not near it. I think we're always near nature. I think it's surprising how almost anywhere I've ever been in the world, if you just be a little more creative, you can get somewhere where there's a little park or some trees. And you see this a lot in Japan. They actually call it forest bathing. It's actually a much cooler Japanese price for this, but retreating into a forest, breathing in that air from the, from the plants, just seeing the plants. And I think getting your eyes away from all the stimulation, either of devices or buildings or lights and just walking around and maybe cooking a meal outside. And it's not hard to make a picnic. You know, I think a lot of people make that into a bigger deal. You can make a healthy picnic pretty easy and just spend a little bit of time and bring someone with you talk kind of walk around and like i said getting out into nature is a great way and it's you you recover and it's generally 
for those of us that will overdo the fitness sometimes, it's something that's good, good for the body and it's active recovery, as we'd say in CrossFit. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We spoke about like your version of CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like Jiu-Jitsu is something that definitely clears my mind, but there's, I need something else because sometimes you're teaching or you're leading a class and it's not work, but there's a work-like component to it where you got to structure a class and you're organized and you're training. Maybe your training's not going as well as you want. Like I need like a third thing just to like offset it. And like my wife and I will go for a walk, no matter how cold or hot it is. We'll go for a walk at sunset, like maybe right after dinner or before dinner. We'll walk a couple neighborhoods and walk during sunset twilight for two, three miles. And it's like, especially now in Philly, it's freezing. Like it's 20 degrees at night, a couple nights ago. And it's so invigorating just getting outside and just walking around the suburbs and you see a beautiful sunset and you walk and it just changes your whole mindset. It's a great way just to chill, relax, and just clear your mind at the end of the day. I appreciate you sharing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. How about? Is there a book that influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? There's no question. I was influenced by reading Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins and kind of going through that idea of, I think, in an earlier part of your life on on goal setting. And, you know, uh, we talked earlier about principles and methods. When you're younger, you kind of need to, to look at a mountain and say, I'm going to try to climb that mountain. I think later, and you fast forward to where you're in your 40s, Maybe you've crossed a lot of those things off the list and some of them you kind of think, well, some of the stuff that's still there or some of the stuff I've even crossed off, maybe that's not really giving me the emotional gratification I thought of when I put it there because I needed to kind of imagine going somewhere and kind of have a direction. I think later in life, I look at just some meditative um, thinkings and around spending some time just reading about history and having experiences like we said, getting outside ourselves. And at that point, you start thinking more about what are the things that are core in my life that I know I'm good at at this point and I people appreciate for me. I also know where maybe I'm not that good. And I'm probably best to just be out of that, you know, active, minimize that activity and focus on where I can contribute the most. I think later in life, you get a bit more spiritual with that. And I think just, I think for, it's not so much books as it's experiences. And I think of, I've had the privilege of, of going Japan and Kyoto and studying things like the tea ceremony and just some of these ideas about very simple moments of clarity and happiness. And there's a lot out there right now on minimalism. There's actually a great book I've recently read, uh, Greg McCowan wrote called Essentialism. Which is, it's not about just doing with like nothing in your life. That's, that's kind of extreme. It's more about how do you actually boil your life down to some things that give you that kind of value. So things like that to get you to think more, um, more so than when you're younger. And when you're younger, you're kind of wise to read as much as you can. When you get older, it's like read things that make you think and reflect. I appreciate you sharing that. It's spot on. Rod, as you look out to the year ahead, maybe 2023, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? Earlier this year, I started up a group called the Executive Collective, which is just no, we don't make, it's not for profit. And this thing has just taken off. And for me, it's a passion project where how would I explain it simply would be you've got a lot of people out in the market right now that have a ton of experience and maybe they're later in their careers, they're transitioning to new challenges, doing new things, adventures are finishing and new ones are starting like myself. And then you've got Gen Z, you've got millennials, you've got energy. Uh, they got passion like crazy, but they don't necessarily know how to scale their ideas. And I've just been having Joe an incredible time connecting these two groups and watching the dialogues that emerge. And again, this is all volunteer. You got a ton of people helping. And we're just gaining so much benefit because you see that 
And again, it's just like we talk about in sports. You see this person with experience that's got a lot of knowledge, but doesn't always know where to apply it anymore. And then you've got someone who's just got a hunger and an energy. And to watch a young millennial leader have an idea or a Gen Z, and then have someone who's been around a while say, listen, you could probably sell that idea a lot better if you just answered these three questions and did this, this, and this. It's, oh, it's just magical. So we're think tanking this December and this January. We're going to take that to a new level. And I see this as a bit of a pay it forward because I think there's some incredible people in the new generation. I also think, and I recently mentioned on LinkedIn, there's a lot of people that are even over 80 that they still want to contribute. They still want to be in the game. And I think, how do we pull this all together? It's create a tribe. And I'm passionate about growing that. Wrapping up here, be respectful of your time. Rod, if you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Yeah, wow. Something I say a lot lately and a lot to myself is life is a river. And I think sometimes we say things like it's a highway or road and we see, but you know, you you can't just stop your car. It really is like a river. You're in in something, it's got gravity, the water is flowing. You don't always know what rocks are underneath. Sometimes you're in rapids, sometimes it's calm. And I think that lots of times if you can just take a breath and teach yourself again through your hobbies through your martial arts thing else calm yourself and say if i can like bruce lee flow like water if i can flow in that river and not be overwhelmed even if it seems scary as heck or even if it's painful at times if i can just be calm i'm probably going to see some amazing opportunities and so many times i've had some things that i'm so grateful for that have happened to me and people will say oh you're so lucky or why does that happen to you? And it's like, you know what? If you can just stay calm under pressure and look at what's around you, there is opportunity. So flow in the river. Don't fight the river because as in real life, if you ever get to do whitewater rafting, the first lesson of whitewater rafting is flow with that river. You start yeah. trying to fight it, swim the other way, That's starting to do that, you're going to And I think life, is, life and business are the exact same way. I love it. Life is a river. Calm yourself. It's almost like play the infinite game. Be calm, flow with the river, and uh, go, you know, roll with the punches. That's awesome. Uh, last two questions. Yeah, two fun yeah. ones to wrap up, Rod. Rod, if you could spend the day with anyone, historical figure, world leader, alive or dead, who would that person be? Well, Joe, at the risk of, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, I actually got to have that experience. I got to have that experience. I'll tell you yeah. the quick story. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks ago. I would go out of my way. We're doing a lot of work down in the Louisville, Kentucky area. And uh, I would drive out of my way in flying back to Canada because I would fly back through Nashville. I would go out of my way to go to a place called Cookville, Tennessee. Now, in the CrossFit world, this is where the ultimate idol of a lot of CrossFitters is Rich Froning, 10-time world champ. And this is where he, he lives. This is where his gym is. And so I went through three times up until the last time, the last time was the fourth time. And every time I walk in, I'd be so excited. And I'd say, it's rich here today. They'd be like, something's going on. He's not here. So last time I show up and I asked, I was supposed to be there for the six o'clock class. I was there for the, I think the afternoon class. And I said, is rich here? He's here this morning. You missed him. And at this point, they kind of knowing me, this kind of Canadians, uber excited and driving all the way to go train this place. And I go to the workout great coach there named josh and it's actually coach's choice that day so in in, to kind of give a bit of detail here it's going to be a team workout so we don't always have team workouts inside the team workout there's even going to be some parts where you have to kind of work with a partner it's team of four which again it's pretty unusual we don't usually do that it's pretty rare 
So there's uh, some experienced people, two guys pretty experienced, and there's some inexperienced people. So he says, hey, why don't you work? Josh says, why don't you work with these two experienced guys? You've been around a while. He says, let me to tell you guys how we're going to adjust the four-person workout to a three-person team. As he's starting to tell us this, this voice from behind says, hey, guys, could I be on this team? I turn around, and it's none other than Rich Froning, CrossFit legend. And Joe, here's the thing that a lot of people in the CrossFit world be asking. He blew me away. At first, I felt like a little kid, and I was like, what to pass out? But what blew me away is his humility. He shook my hand and said, hey, I'm rich. And I'm, I said, I know who you are. Like He was so humble, so down to earth. And even though I felt like throwing up because, the, because I was like, my adrenaline was so spiked, I came away not only with a chance of a lifetime to work out with someone who's a legend in, in our sport, but I also saw, and I've seen a lot of high-end leaders over my life and some great people. I could not believe the humility of this individual and how he approached a workout with us and honestly, it was like he was just one of the gang and a really, really amazing leader in, in the way he displayed himself. So, yeah, that's my story on that. And I'm still I am still buzzing that I dream that I'm still buzzing. If I didn't uh, take a take get a picture taken of it, I would almost have to tell myself that was just a dream. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Last question. Rod Olmstead, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body. What would that quote or motto say? Well, you could ask a lot of, yeah, that's easy. I say it all the time, full steam ahead, full steam ahead. No matter what's happening, even on a bad day, when someone says full steam ahead, the old, put the pedal to the metal. I love it. Full steam ahead. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to end. Rod Olmstead, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Love the conversation on mental fitness, physical fitness, professional life, planning, logistics. I think we covered a lot of stuff here, and I think you shared a lot of knowledge, and I appreciate your time. If people are looking for you, Rod, online and your company, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, hit me on LinkedIn. I've got my email there, my phone number. Absolutely use it as a landing page. So yeah, please, please do. Good. LinkedIn. I will put your LinkedIn address in the show notes. Great to run into you on the mat a few months back and I hope to see you again, man. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you. My pleasure for being here today. Hey, it's Joe Chicarone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way with connecting the podcast with more listeners. So if you could, I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon.